Today we get to the last church. Next week we will deal with God's great invitation and be done with chapter 3. The last church, the church at Laodicea, the church that I term today the complacent church. And my fear is that I will not, as his messenger will not adequately speak the words that need to be spoken this morning. Let's get the scripture in front of us, if you will. Let's stand together and we'll read Revelation chapter 3, beginning in verse 14. We'll read through verse 19. Jesus is is speaking the words and he says to the angel, the messenger, the pastor of the church at Laodicea, write, The Amen, the faithful and true witness, the originator of God's creation says, I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I am going to vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I'm rich, I have become wealthy and need nothing, and you don't know that you're wretched and pitiful and poor and blind and naked. I advise you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you may be rich and white clothes so that you may be dressed and your shameful nakedness not be exposed and ointment to spread on your eyes so that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be committed and repent. Let's pray. Father, the weightiness of your word. Comes to us today. With the weight of your holiness and your power. I pray that today that we will hear you speak into our hearts individually and our church life collectively. Open our eyes that we see. Open our ears that we hear. Open our minds that we can know. In your name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I want to look back at verse 19. It is another message for another time. It is a message that we should take to heart as believers. It says, as many as I love, I rebuke and discipline. Now, just in a short fashion, here's what I want to say to every person here, including the guy on the platform. If we can walk daily in sin, if we can walk daily in open rebellion, here's what happens. Here's what I'm telling you. And we don't receive the chastisement of God. It means we're not his. That's what the book says. We need to take that to heart. And so he ends this. He says, be committed and repent. The word word repent, the message of repentance was from the first words that Jesus spoke out of his mouth when he said, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The, The message of repentance is the message of John the Baptist. From the first word he spoke, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The The word repent is the message of um, Peter at Pentecost 
after the uh, ascension of Jesus and the descension of the Holy Spirit, and he said, repent, every one of you, for your sin. You know, when we talk about this church at Laodicea, uh, I'm reminded of the old story I read. Preacher went to his deacon chairman, and he said, uh, sorry, Teddy, I'm already picking on you, man. Deacon went, uh, preacher went to deacon chairman, and he said, hey, what do you think the problem with our church with ignorance or apathy? And the deacon chairman looked at the preacher and said, I don't know, and I don't care. <laughs> you know, today we look at, the, at this Laodicean church, and, and I've termed it the complacent church, which it would seem to be because it seems, as you read about this church, they didn't know and they didn't care that they made God sick. Reread it again. Read it as often as you like. You know, when you, when you, I've already told you this, that, that there are people who are called dispensationalists. I have no great grudge against them. I just, I don't, I don't know that that's all true. But for the dispensationalists, and for those who don't know what that term means, Alan, the dispensationalist means that every church represents a period in history. And today we would be living in the Laodicean age. The age where the church literally makes God sick. You see, when you see clearly the church at Laodicea, you find a church that by all human accounts is doing pretty good. I mean, you think about all the things they had. They, they had plenty of money. Isn't it interesting how many people today um, rate a church based on how much money they have? Because in America... If you have money in the bank, you have the blessings of God. When I thought about that, I'm reminded of a message that we heard this past week from Acts chapter 3. Now, do you remember the setup for Acts chapter 3? If you don't, let me give it to you. Acts chapter 2 is where they gathered, it's where after they gathered to Jerusalem, the Holy Spirit of God fell. And Acts chapter 2, and you had those 3,000 people saved. Acts chapter 2 ends with this. And the Lord added to the church daily those who would be saved. Now it's against that backdrop that you get to Acts chapter 3. And Peter and John are going into the temple. And they come to the gate called Beautiful. And they see the lame man at the gate. Now he's been, sit he's been sitting there ever since he's been born. Because he's been lame since birth. And he's sitting at the gate and he's asking for money. Because you see, this man believes that his deepest need, that the need that he has can be met with physical things, that it can be met with money. And you're going, well, no, I know better than that. Well, listen, it was revealed to us or just, just suggested to us this week that he had sat at those gate for all those years and thinking that the money could meet his deepest need. And guess what? The worshipers and the worship leaders, those going into the church, agreed with him. Because they went by him week after week, day after day, and they toss him a quarter as it were. And nobody ever invited him into the building to meet the real answer to his need. You see, folks, the visible needs are not normally the critical needs. The church at Laodicea, as I read this, was probably, was probably meeting all the visible needs because they were a wealthy church. Just like the churches in America today. Just like Hueytown. 
We know that in America, we, we are in the top 5% in the world of income. But here's what happens when you have physical wealth. Something happens to your spiritual riches. You begin to depend on the wrong thing. It's the eye of the needle principle that we've talked about so often. How hard it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Because when we think that we've come so far and we have so much wealth and we can meet the visible needs, then we can become complacent to the critical needs. Such was the case in Laodicea. It's just like the average church in America. You say, Brother Jerry, that's a sweeping term. Well, why are we closing two churches every month? Maybe every week now in America. Why is it that the average church is declining? And most of the, and many of those who are actually seeing some growth, all we're doing is swapping sheep. There's not really a lot of people being transferred into the kingdom from darkness to light. The churches in America... Let's not just say the churches. This church in America. It's like so many churches. Because we can pay to get it done. Because we're rich on our own. Our philosophy has literally become. Don't worry. Be happy. Just, I, if you think I'm lying. I want you to take a journey with me. I just told our three girls down here. Thank them so much for being here today. i uh, your pastor deeply loves you and appreciates you being here today. But for those of us my age, think back to your parents. Think back to your grandparents. They were not complacent about what they were going to eat. They were not complacent about the necessities of life. We may have one or two in here that was raised with a, quote, a silver spoon in your mouth where you had plenty. Most of us, we remember our parents and our grandparents raking and scraping to make sure that the necessities of life were met. And the necessities back then... Where food, clothing, and shelter, it wasn't, it wasn't a cell phone, the internet, and sheltered income. And our parents and our grandparents were never complacent about the necessities of life. And they were never complacent about the spiritual things of life. They didn't just fit God into their life. God was the center of their life because they knew that without Him leading them, that they were doomed. That their kids would starve. And I suggest you, I submit to us today, that the concerned church, they were not complacent, they were concerned in those days. And I, I submit to you today that the concerned church of days gone by has turned into the church at Laodicea today, the complacent church of the day. I want you to see only two things. You can follow along on the back of the bulletin. First, see the predicament. See the predicament. Of the complacent. And I just put complacent up here because it can be the complacent church or it can be the complacent believer. The predicament of all the attributes Jesus lists in his holy word that his church and his people are to have. Apathy, complacency, and unconcern never made the list. 
Well, you say, Brother Jerry, I know that. Well, if that is true, if it is true that we know that we're supposed to be concerned, we're supposed to care, we're supposed to be connected, then why is it that 95% of born-again believers, evangelicals, 95% never speak a word of light, that light we were just singing about, never speak a word of truth, never speak a word about Jesus to anybody in their entire life? Why is it? You see, Jesus said, as the Father sent me, so send I you. He went on to say, after the Holy Spirit comes on you, you will, not maybe, not possibly, not there's an outside chance. He said, you will be my witnesses. And he says, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail its onslaught. The church of the Lord Jesus Christ is to be an offensive church. And I'll tell you what's happened today. I'll tell you what's happened with us. We have spent so much time building walls around us and circling the wagons and trying to protect our own to what's happened is that we find ourselves in a state of decay. Oh, Brother Jerry, that's not why we have this. Well, we may have a lot of problems, but here's what I'll tell you. When you circle the wagons, you begin to get killed off one at a time. You see, the truth is, Scripture is replete with Jesus giving us our marching orders. And one day... One day, you and me and this church, we will be judged by God Almighty based on the marching orders and not our management options. That's why Peter writes, and I think he wrote it out of a broken heart. It's the way he writes, it's time for judgment to begin at the house of God. The complacent church. I want you to see this predicament as Jesus looks from his eyes of fire. As he looks at the church at Laodicea. I think he says a couple of things to him. And I think it will serve us well to note today. First of all, the complacent church. It doesn't measure up. The complacent church doesn't measure up. Now you may not like me saying this. If you don't like it being said, you take it up with the Arthur, not the messenger. You see, the truth is, the complacent church does not measure up to the standards which Jesus, the founder, put forth. The complacent church doesn't measure up, and frankly, they don't care. And here's what Jesus says to this. Verse 15, he says, I know your works. I know that you are not cold or hot. I wish you were cold or hot. As your pastor, this one truth... This one truth that he knows what we think. He knows what we say. He knows what we do. That needs to be absorbed. Because he knows what you're doing, whether you believe it or like it or not. And if you don't, now please hear me. If you don't have an ongoing, life-changing, mind-altering, Relationship with him, here's what's going to happen. 
You are not going to measure up in the day of judgment. It's not enough just to walk an aisle or walk through the baptistry. It is a life-changing, a mind-altering, an ongoing, a destination-changing relationship. If you don't know Him, His first thought for you to make you measure up is a relationship with Him. I want you to hang on to that thought for a little bit. We'll probably come back to it. If you do know him, please listen. He has a definite plan for you. Don, take it for me and show me where it says there is a gift to sit in the pew. Can't find it. Show me where it is where it says there's a gift of gossip. Show me where it is there was a gift of criticism. Show me where there is a gift of not doing. Show me where there's a gift of laziness. What I'm telling you is everything that the church is about today seems to be in reverse. You see, he has a definite plan for you. You are the church that he died for. Jesus says, I know what you're doing. I know where you are. I know you're not hot or cold. And I want you to be one or the other. Now think about that. This is amazing to me. I understand hot. He wants everybody to be fully committed to him. I understand when he says, I wish you were cold. Maybe I understand that because you can deal with it. But listen, folks, has it ever occurred to you strange that he don't take lukewarm? Has that ever occurred strange to you? I mean, think about it. The average church leader, whether it is a Sunday school director, where it is a chairman of deacons, where it's a pastor, The average church leader, you come in and go, listen, I can't do it all, but I'll do what I can. The average church leader will say, well, we'll take whatever we get. Listen, Jesus says, put up or shut up. Get in or out, hot or cold, because your lukewarmness makes me sick. This week we heard Mark Bearden, 20 plus years in life action. He was talking about the folks with an 80% commitment. 80% commitment. And you know what he said? He said, there's no such thing as 80% commitment. He said, in fact, 80% commitment or 80% surrender to God is rebellion against God. Please hear this, folks. Partial obedience is still disobedience. Partial surrender to God is still rebellion. And partial commitment makes God sick. Jesus didn't die on a cross for our sin so that we can live in our sin. He died for our sin so that we could die to our sin and commit to Him. And you say, wait a minute, Brother Jerry, you're talking about the complacent church. Where does this thing of sin come in? Why is it such a big deal? Here's why. It's because the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, who has become complacent about souls and about ministry and have become internalized, is a church that's living in sin. And the number one culprit in bringing about the complacency among God's people is sin. And a complacent church doesn't measure up. 
Second thing I'll say to you is a complacent church, it can't stand up. Do you know why a complacent church can't stand up? I know some of you are really going to love me for this. You have a real weak stomach. But listen, Scripture, that word for vomit is amesis. means regurgitate. It is because that that lukewarm church made God sick on his stomach and he threw us up. Watch this. You go to Ephesians. It is only when we are in Christ that we can find spiritual power. It is only in him that we can find our spiritual way. The lukewarm church makes God sick on his stomach. And when he regurgitates us, he takes hands off. Now, hang on a second. All of my life, I have been afraid that God, I would do something, that God would raise his hand to chastise me. Remember, those I love, I rebuke, I chasten. You know, perhaps we've been thinking about it all wrong. Man, I just don't do anything to make God mad. I don't do anything so God chastises me. Think about this in your life, not just in the life of the church. Instead of worried about God doing something to God, raise his hand to you. What is the consequence if you do something that God takes his hand of blessing off of you? What if there's some sin in your life? that causes God to remove his hand of blessing from your Sunday school class, from this church. Oh, Brother Jerry, what I do doesn't affect this church. Well, listen, go back to the Old Testament. Achan committed sin, caused 35 people to get killed and for the nation to suffer a defeat. One sin, one person, one man. I wonder if another case can be made for the this being the Laodicean age. I wonder if God has taken his hand off many of the local fellowships, many of the believers. Could that be the reason why when the church has more education, more resources, more building, more ministries, more options, that the church can't seem to stand up for our Lord. We're so busy doing good things that we've forgotten the best. That's the complacent church. Doesn't measure up, can't stand up, and won't straighten up. You know, most of the time, just an observation, most of the time when someone or something won't straighten up, it's because they don't see the need to straighten up. And I think that's the case in Laodicea, and I'll make the case as we end the service in just a second. They didn't see the need. They had a shallow commitment, and they didn't see it. They, had, they were self-deceived, and they didn't see it. They were self-satisfied, couldn't admit it. For them, church was fine. It's, I, you know, I like it like it is.
You know what I think we've forgotten? This was brought home to us this week. I think we've forgotten how hopeless we really are without Jesus. Another name that I would call this complacent church at Laodicea would be an arrogant church. You see, they could figure it out. They could work it out. They could plan it out. They could pull up their bootstraps and get through it. And as long as you can do that, we as a vile people will never depend on the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit of God. We will do business as usual. When you can lean on your own understanding, why lean on Jesus? One church was going through some struggle. They were in one of those meetings. Pastor said, maybe we need to pray about this. Hello. Lady on the second row goes, oh my goodness, has it come to that? Please listen, folks. It hasn't come to that. It's always been about that. And when we think that we can do our own thing, we can do it our own way. When we think that we don't have to lean on Him. When we think we can get along just fine. You find a church in a predicament. You see, the the complacent church like the complacent church member, doesn't measure up to God's standards. Can't stand up for him because they have no spiritual power. And they won't straighten up because they're blind. As I was preparing this message, God took me to where we visited several times this week in Isaiah 6. Tonight's message, please listen, is not about touching the world. It's not about reaching the world. It's about changing the world from Isaiah 6. Go home and read the entire chapter and then be here tonight. Changing the world. In that text, you'll read about Isaiah seeing the Lord. You'll read about what I think was a very spiritual reawakening for Isaiah, which is what is needed, not just in this church, but yet in this church. Not just in this community, but yes, in this community. Not just in this nation or this world, but yes, in this nation and this world. You see, for the complacent church, for the complacent church to move from their level of complacency where they won't measure up, where they won't stand up, where they won't straighten up, to where God wants them to be, requires a prescription. Number two, the prescription for the complacent church. Now most of us know about prescriptions. Talking to one man this morning, he said, I am so tired of doctors. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Hello? We know about doctors. We go to doctors because something's going wrong with us. That doctor pulls out his pad and he writes us a script. And the reason he writes us a script is because we are because we are sick. Like it or not, the complacent church is a sick church. 
And when Jesus writes a prescription, I want you, I, you may not have ever had this happen to you. I got to thinking about this. When Jesus writes a prescription, he's like Dr. Morgan. My, every now and then, Dr. Morgan will write me a script, and he'll go, now I want you to go to thus and so and fill this. Now, he let, I, normally I go to my own pharmacist, but every now and then he goes, I want you to go thus and so. And there's a reason when he tells us. You see, Jesus didn't just leave it for us on this prescription. He says, I advise you, verse 18, I advise you to buy from me. If there is going to be a healing, if there's going to be help, if there's going to be hope, if there's going to be renewal, if there's going to be a complacent church that turns into a committed church, it's going to be because we get it from him. We're not going to work our way out of it. We're not going to uh, be good enough to get out of it. We're going to have to buy from him. He has the answer. And I suggest to you that in, in the few minutes that remain, I suggest to you that he gives three prescriptions. He writes three scripts for us. Now, right now, you can go to sleep if you're not interested. For me, I want all God has for me. I don't want to get to the judgment seat of Christ and here will come in, but you don't know what had gone on if. I don't want to get there with what ifs. I want to get there with well dones. I want you to see three things. He begins writing the script for the complacent church, and he says, for hope. For hope. It's hard to preach about hope today. Not hard because it's a hard subject. It is hard because when people don't know that they need hope, if people have never been without hope, they never appreciate what hope really is. Most of the time, the, the complacent church can be called the confident church because they are not worried about everything because they have it all figured out to the end. Jesus says, you know what? Let me tell you how hopeless you are. You think you're rich. You think you have a lot. You think that you're wealthy. But the truth is, you are wretched. You are pitiful. You are poor. You are blind. And you are naked. Not my words. His words. He says, man, he said, here's the deal. You cannot put your hope in things of this world. Buy gold from me. Now that gold could be a lot of things. But I know for sure that it's a couple. I know for sure that the gold Jesus wants you and me to buy from him is the gold of salvation. If there's one person here Maybe you've been a church member for years and years, but you know God don't have your tongue. And if he doesn't have your tongue, you know why your tongue's so bad? Because he doesn't have your heart. Because out of the heart flows all the issues of life. The tongue reveals what's in the heart. Or you could have some kind of bad habit, an addiction. The goal that he wants you to have today is the goal that has been refined in the fire of Calvary's crucible. Jesus went to the cross for you. You will not, you will not, you will not 
miss hell and make heaven because you are a good person, because you attend a church, because you're a part of a Sunday school class, because you're a deacon, because you're a preacher, because you're a singer, you will not make heaven absent the goal of salvation. For some of us, we're too proud to humble ourselves. We're too proud to repent and confess. What will people think? I wonder. I wonder how our mind's going to change one day standing before God. And he says, depart from me. I never knew you. And you go, wait a minute, God. Wait a minute. Wait. I was in Sunday school for 32 years without missing a day. I sang in the choir faithfully. He's going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. Well, Lord, you don't understand. If I had humbled myself, what would people have thought? In that hour, what the person sitting beside of you will not even thinks will not even matter. Buy from me gold, hope. Perhaps you know the Lord, but perhaps sins crept into your life, and that some kind of addiction has taken you over. Some kind of immorality has taken over in your life. Some kind of ethical issue has taken over in your life. Some kind of sin takes over your life. The goal he wants you to have today is the goal of renewal, the goal of commitment, the goal of refreshment, the goal that he comes in and covers you with his blood. little course that I love so much says this my only hope is you Jesus my only hope is you from early in the morning till late at night my only hope is you you see the only hope that we have the only hope for the complacent church, the only hope in this world is, listen, it's not some possibility. It is the blessed hope of Jesus Christ. The hope that we look for and long for if we are his. The complacent church. First script is for hope. And from that hope bleeds. There's, just a, there's an accompanying prescription. It's for help. It's for help. That help is, said, is spoken of in the, in the matter of the white clothes. Go ahead, Cameron, for help. It says, my gold refined in the fire so that you may be rich. Buy gold from me refined in the fire, you may be rich. That's for your hope. And what will happen is that then the white clothes you will get as a part of the package so that you may be dressed and your nakedness not exposed. As a part of the transaction of coming to Jesus, he now puts clothes on you, clothes that, that, that speak of purity, clothes that speak of royalty, clothes that literally cover, watch this, that cover your iniquities. Now watch. Here's what the scripture says. If you confess your sin to the Father... While you're on earth, it'll be covered in heaven by those white clothes. 
However, if you refuse to, ex- to confess on earth, it'll be exposed in heaven. You won't help to come out of a complacent lifestyle. Come to Jesus. When the Spirit of God calls you to be saved, when He calls you to rededicate, when He calls you to rededicate your life, He offers you the clothing of His grace. He offers you the clothing of His mercy. He offers you the clothing of forgiveness. So that you don't have to be exposed as a sinner. You want help today? He's the answer. We sang a song this week called Whisper His Name. More like a chant, if you want to know the truth, Dana and Grant. More like a chant. It says, whisper his name, Jesus. Whisper his name, Jesus. Whisper his name, Jesus. And he will come to you. Call out his name, Jesus. Call out his name, Jesus. The first time we sang that, I thought, I don't know about this. I like things that are kind of submit. And I want to tell you. That's one of those, that was one of those experiences as we sang that together where the music took second place and Jesus took center place. For help, for hope, Him. And I end with what I think every church needs to come to grips with and that is for healing. The third prescription is healing. Why do I say healing? I've already, I've already related that the complacent church is a sick church. Now watch it. If you've not listened to anything else, please stay with me for the next few minutes. The complacent church is a sick church. It has whatever you want to call it. It has a malady. It has a disorder. It has a disease. In fact, here's what I'll tell you. It has an infection. And an infection, by very definition, is infectious. And an infection, if left untreated, will grow and will consume. Can you imagine? Can you imagine your future if you're diagnosed with cancer and refuse any treatment? There's a lot of other diseases, and you refuse treatment. You know what happens? The disease grows fast. You know how I found this? The sick church that needs healing, the sick church that needs a medicine, it says, at the end of verse 18, it says, an ointment to spread on your eyes so that you may see. Twelve years ago, in fact, twelve years ago this month, I had my first eye surgery. Ninety days later, I had my second eye surgery. Now, because if I don't go ahead and tell you what it was all about, I'm going to lose you. You know, what was going on with his eyes? I'll tell you. There were pterygium growths on both eyes. Pterygium growth starts in your iris, and left alone, it'll grow over your pupil and destroy your eyesight. But now watch this. 
Shreveport, Louisiana, 1983, they diagnosed the pterygium. And he measured it, and he said, you know, Jerry, he said, until it gets to getting close to you people, we really don't have to do anything about it. 1999, in Biloxi, Mississippi, Dr. Knight said it's time. Because, you see, that growth was not going away by itself. It had to be surgically removed. And I remember the process. Deborah tell you, and she'll laugh about it because I'm such a baby when, when I'm going through things. I came out of that. This is one of those one day, how do you operate on somebody's eye? And you bring them in, and three hours later, they're going home. And when I got in the car after the first one, I said, ah, this settles it. I will not do the second one. I will go blind. Painful. But you know what they gave me both times? They gave me some salve, some ointment. And when I put that ointment on there, felt like I had something in my eye all the time. When I put that ointment on there, two things happened. First of all, there was a little bit of ease to my pain. And second of all, it promoted the healing. That is the ointment that Jesus offers his complacent church to ease the pain now and to promote healing. Nothing is as scary as an eyesight problem for me. You can't see things right. You can't see things clearly. You can't recognize things. And here's what I'll tell you. The complacent church has an eyesight problem. They can't see the sin in their own life because they're too busy pointing fingers at everybody else. They can't see how they've fallen away from the Lord. And... They just really can't see. In 1937, I believe it was, Walt Disney released the movie Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Do you remember that movie? And you remember that Snow White got taken in by the Seven Dwarfs. Snow White was a fox. Beautiful. There was an old queen back in the castle. She had this magical mirror. Remember what she said? One of the most misquoted lines in all of of, uh, theater. Mirror, mirror on the wall. Who's the fairest one of all? You know what she expected to hear? You are. As a general rule, mirrors don't lie. If we take the mirror of God's word, you know what we hear? We hear Jesus saying, I will build my church. And I will build a church that the gates of hell will not stand its onslaught. And I will give the church the keys to the kingdom. And whatever they bind on heaven, in heaven or on earth is bound in the other place. Whatever they're loose on earth or in heaven is, uh, is reciprocal. They have the power. And then he says, as you go out in this world, make disciples, baptize, teach, 
And I'll be with you every step of the way. And after the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will be my witnesses. You'll start where you live in Jerusalem. You'll go to Samaria. You'll go to Judea and Samaria. And then to the rest of the world, you will do this. Jesus says to the church, a new commandment I give to you. That you love one another as I've loved you. And it is in this way and the implication that it is only in this way that they will know that you are mine. When Jesus saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he said, the harvest is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray that the Lord of the harvest will send forth laborers. And he said, see the fields. They're white and ripe for harvest. And then in John 20, 21, he says this. As the Father sent me to do these things, now I'm sending you. Here's the question. What does the mirror tell you today? Are you complacent? Or are you committed? You can say whatever you want. Do not forget. He says... I know your works. Let's pray.